show is brought to you by the physicians and staff of Nebraska Cancer Specialists. We are grateful for their time and support on this project. Nebraska Cancer Specialists is the largest community oncology practice in the region and the regional leader in cancer diagnosis, treatment, and research. Their physicians are some of the most experienced and highly qualified in the area. Nebraska Cancer Specialists provide considerate, state-of-the-art care for their patients at their five Metro Omaha locations. You didn't choose your diagnosis, but you can choose your care. Experience you can trust. Compassion you can feel. Nebraska Cancer Specialists, NebraskaCancer.com. Welcome to In the Know with NCS. I'm Kelly Horn, and today we're talking immunotherapy. We are here today with Dr. Mikulski. Dr. Mikulski is a medical oncologist with Nebraska Cancer Specialists, and he is here today to talk to us about the power of immunotherapy. Welcome, Dr. Mikulski. Before we get into defining immunotherapy, can you explain the relationship between cancer and the immune system? Sure. Uh, That's a very complicated question, but I'll try my best to try and make it as simple and quick as possible. So every day um, in your body and my body, our immune system is surveilling cells and identifying cells that are looking abnormal and and may have the potential to develop into cancer. And so our immune system, in addition to preventing germs from attacking our body, is also uh, very working very hard to try and identify cells that could become abnormal and potentially cancerous. And so the immune system has got an important function in eliminating cells before they have an opportunity to develop cancer. Now, obviously, um, cells find out how to avoid the immune system because we all know that folks unfortunately develop cancer. Um, and so uh, we'll talk a little bit about how that works and how we're targeting that, um, that mechanism uh, a little bit down the line in the talk. How does immunotherapy work and how does it differ from traditional chemotherapy? It's a good question as well. So um, cancer cells by their inherent nature are dividing very rapidly. And traditional chemotherapy utilize that weakness as cells are dividing rapidly. They can make mistakes in their DNA sequences. And so by giving medicines that basically clog up the division process, it can essentially kill off cancer cells. Now, unfortunately, we have other rapidly dividing cells outside of cancer that are very important uh, to our function in day-to-day life. And so that's where we get toxicities like hair loss, knocking down our uh, other blood counts, anemia, uh, GI upset, nausea, vomiting. And so um, we've been working very hard to try and discover other therapeutic options outside of the traditional chemotherapy avenues. And we have, over the last several years, discovered a whole new class of cancer treatment known as immunotherapy. This is a broad topic, um, but there are several antibody-based protein infusions that are being used. And so what this does is basically allow the immune system to recognize cancer cells again and do their natural job, which is to eliminate them. Let's talk a little bit about the history of immunotherapy. Um, Can you tell us the story of William Cooley, known to some as the father of immunotherapy? Yeah, this is actually a very fascinating story. So William Cooley was a surgical oncologist in New York. Uh, Fresh out of training, he encountered a 17-year-old girl named Elizabeth Dashiell. She was on a a streetcar. She had fell, injured her hand, and it did not get better over several weeks. And so she presented to him, and unfortunately, he diagnosed her with a form of bone cancer. And at that point in time, this predated chemotherapy. Um, the best treatment for cancer was surgery. And so he did a large amputation of her arm. And unfortunately, about six to seven weeks later, she succumbed to her disease because it already spread outside of, his, uh, outside of her arm. 
And this was uh, a formative event in Dr. Cooley's uh, uh, young life. And so he uh, was obviously distraught about this. Uh, he had given state-of-the-art treatment to a patient, and she unfortunately still died from her cancer. And so he started to look through all the other different cases of sarcoma and other cancers that they had at the New York hospital at the time. And he discovered a German immigrant that had a large incurable neck tumor um, who developed a type of strep infection called erysipelas. And after he had recovered from the infection, his tumor actually regressed spontaneously. And uh, he was very interested in this and he was actually able to track down uh, that patient several years later and discover that he was still cancer free. And so um, he was very intrigued about this and he found about 50 other cases um, in the records at New York Hospital of similar situations where a patient with a cancer um, developed an infection, survived the infection, which is important because this is before antibiotics and uh, developed um, some sort of remission uh, that was somewhat durable. And so he was fascinated by this. So he kind of put two and two together that maybe we could utilize an infection to treat cancer. And so he took basically a, a culture um, of two different bacteria, strep pyogenes, which causes erysipelas, and then also serratia marcescens. And it was injecting that into patients' tumors. And so one tumor uh, was about the size of an egg in the back of a, a gentleman's throat. It took several injections of this bacterial culture before he actually developed an infection. But once he developed the infection and recovered from it, um, he actually had remission of his cancer. And uh, he went ahead and treated 10 additional patients with this. But because of the unpredictable nature of inducing an infection, he actually had about two patients that actually passed away from the infection itself. So then he modified his approach. He took um, live cultures of bacteria and then he inactivated them, basically killed them off and then used that as an injection. And that became uh, kind of the predecessor to Cooley's toxins, which were used up until about 1963 when the FDA classified it as a new drug, thus requiring it to go through the typical indexing process that all of our new drugs go through today. So they kind of fell out of you know widespread convention, but there is at least case reports that suggest it was an effective means. So kind of early, somewhat modern era medicine utilizing immunotherapy, even before the more cutting edge stuff that we're using today. Sure. Absolutely. I love that story. I know you told it at a presentation we did a couple weeks ago, and I thought it was fascinating. So thanks for touching on that. Let's move to immunotherapy in the modern age. Can you explain what checkpoint inhibitors are and how they work and how they mesh with immunotherapy? Yeah. So um, I kind of alluded to earlier that uh, the immune system is constantly surveying our body to look for atypical cells. Um, sometimes those cells are able to put up essentially camouflage to hide from the immune system. And uh, this camouflage utilizes a, a normal aspect of our immune system so that our immune system is not out attacking normal tissues on a day-to-day -day basis. And so tumor cells are clever, and so they've discovered a way to utilize this process um, to hide from the immune system. And so what a checkpoint inhibitor is, is basically a protein molecule that we're giving through the vein that basically interrupts that interaction between the camouflage and the immune system so that the camouflage essentially is removed and the immune system is able to do its natural job. So we hear a lot about CAR T cells. It seems to be kind of a buzzword when we're, t when we're hearing about treatments for cancer. Can you talk to us about CAR T cell therapy and how it works? Yeah, this is an exciting area of cancer therapeutics and likely probably the most complicated uh, medical therapy that we've developed thus far. So essentially what this is, is utilizing our own immune cells and modifying them in the laboratory and then reinfusing them. And so what happens is 
We are giving medicines to patients that mobilize their T cells into their bloodstream and they were able to draw those off kind of like a blood donation would be. And those are sent to essentially a factory um, in a lab and they are able to engineer them to express a receptor that is specifically targeted to a protein on a cancer cell. They're able to multiply these cells in the millions and concentrate them down and then send them back um, to the hospital where the patient would be admitted. Uh, given some chemotherapy to kind of allow this medicine to work better, this this therapy to work better, and these living cells are injected back into the patient. And so, in theory, the idea is that these cells are able to enter the circulation anywhere where your normal immune cell would be able to enter in the body. These cells could go and theoretically seek out cancer cells. This receptor that's on there is specific, kind of like a lock and a key uh, to some of the proteins that are on cancer cells, and so that allows those cells to interact and do what the immune system is supposed to do, and that's to destroy the cells. And so does that type of therapy work for a variety of different cancers, or is it specific to one or two at this point? Yeah, great question. So it's been investigated in a variety of cancers. Uh, currently, there are two products that are FDA approved for uh, ALL, so acute lymphoblastic le- leukemia, and then also uh, diffuse large B-cell lymphoma, uh, usually in the relapsed or refractory setting. Um, there are multiple clinic, clinical trials going on with those products, using them in a variety of different settings, uh, but they have shown to be effective in those cancers, and um, they are providing some durable responses in a, a good amount of patients. So it's very exciting, showing a breakthrough in cancers that typically were difficult to treat. And uh, the part that I'm very interested for in and, and hopeful for down the road is utilizing this same type of technology to use uh, against other solid type of cancers. So breast cancers and um, like gastric cancer, colon cancer, things of that nature. Right now, it's only being used currently in blood malignancies. So I'm sure you get asked this quite often, but let's talk a little bit about side effects. Can you explain what common or rare side effects patients may experience while being on immunotherapy versus the traditional chemotherapy side effects? Yeah. So unfortunately, every medical treatment has got its double-edged sword to it. And so um, with traditional chemotherapy, we get those side effects that we had mentioned like nausea, vomiting, hair loss, weight loss, affecting our tastes and things of that nature. Um, Immunotherapy has got its own set of unique side effects. And um, it'd probably be helpful to divide that into side effects that are associated with the CAR T cell therapies versus the checkpoint inhibitor therapies. So um, with the checkpoint inhibitor therapies, the most common side effect is actually fatigue. Um, Outside of that, um, we look at things that are autoimmune in nature. So again, we're basically releasing the brakes from the immune system in hopes that they will attack the cancer cells. But Unfortunately, um, we do see that in some patients, autoimmune type diseases can come up. Uh, The two most life-threatening that we're always concerned about and have a very low threshold to try and treat uh, are going to be when the immune system attacks the lung. That's known as pneumonitis. And then uh, if the immune system attacks the colon, uh, that's known as colitis. And if that occurs, it's treatable. We can use, um, if it's, you know, on the more milder end of it, we can just interrupt therapy it's more severe, we give immunosuppressing medications like steroids. Um, If it's very, very severe, we have to give high doses of steroids, usually in the hospital, and we give medicines that are more sophisticated and already used in other autoimmune diseases like lupus and RA and ulcerative colitis and things of that nature. 
When we look at the CAR T cell product, these are interesting. So these are living cells that uh, are able to participate in the immune response as they would for normal cells. And so um, these cells can release when they're activated large amounts of signaling molecules that can essentially make us feel like we're sick. So fevers, low blood pressure uh, may need to end up in the ICU. And so we keep a very close eye on that. That's a condition known as cytokine release syndrome. Um, if that occurs, very low threshold to start uh, steroids, and sometimes we give another type of medicine called tocilizumab. Um, the other thing that we have not quite got a strong grasp on is that some folks that get CAR T-cell therapies can get neurotoxicities. This could be as simple as kind of tics or as severe as coma or seizures. And we don't know exactly what the process is behind that. Uh, again, something we keep a very close eye on and we interrupt a drug or we give um, steroids or tocilizumab or something like that to try and uh, mitigate some of the effects. But those are the major side effects that we're seeing with both of those classes of immunotherapy. So you didn't mention hair loss. I know a lot of people wonder if you take immunotherapy, am I going to lose my hair? Yeah, so there's a, a less of a chance of that. So okay. there, there's actually, you can get autoimmune alopecia, uh, which is a little bit different than the alopecia or the hair loss that you get with uh, chemotherapy, which is usually entire body hair loss. Mm -hmm. Sometimes the alopecia uh, that's associated with the immunotherapy is a little bit more patchier. Um, it's a little bit more rare as well. So what does the future hold? We are knowing, we know that there are a lot of companies providing a lot of research and we know that we, we hear a lot about research. What are some exciting things coming down the pipeline in terms of treatment and research? And is there anything that you're super excited about or looking forward to as it pertains to this? Yeah, yeah. So, um, you know, fortunately, the government and pharmaceutical companies have got a, a lot of um, uh, high hopes for immunotherapy, which is good because that means that they're going to be investing on both the academic side and the industrial side. Um, to try and uh, maximize therapies that are already FDA approved and bring other ones to market. Um, right now, uh, we're just getting into uh, adding immunotherapy in with traditional chemotherapy. And so there's been a couple trials and FDA in indications in um, breast cancer and lung cancer right now using immunotherapy with traditional chemotherapy. It looks like there is a little bit of synergy, meaning that both the, the medicines used together work better. Um, it'll be interesting to see how that all kind of shakes out down the road and whether or not that's going to be um, something that we see among all cancer types. The other aspect of this, and one thing I didn't discuss, is that radiation treatment is used in uh, cancers frequently. And we're starting to look at the best way to sequence some of these therapies. So radiation basically causes cancer cell death on the local scale. Usually it's focused radiation beams to areas of cancer that we can see on imaging or we can feel on exam. There are some early phase research studies that suggest that actually giving radiation beforehand will cause a little bit of cell death. Those cells break apart, their proteins are exposed to the immune system and maybe prime it. And so maybe if you prime the immune system with radiation therapy first, and then you give immunotherapy with or without chemotherapy, maybe that gives us a bigger response. And so I think down the road, there'll be a lot of clinical trials looking at figuring out the right way to sequence that. Maybe immunotherapy first, then radiation, then chemotherapy, or maybe chemotherapy, radiation, then immunotherapy. I think those are questions that are important and I think will be answered with clinical trials down the road. With the CAR-T aspect of it, I would kind of mentioned that right now it's only used in some of the blood cancers like lymphoma and leukemia. 
Um, I think it's an uphill battle to use them in solid tumors right now because those proteins that are expressed on the cancer cells are also expressed on other healthy tissues. And so there's concern about kind of on, on target off tumor side effects. So meaning that we've designed a CAR T cell that attacks breast cancer very, very well, but may accidentally also attack liver cells. And so trying to figure out how best to design a T cell to attack your specific cancer will be um, an important question down the road. Things that they're looking at to try and help out with some of these issues is using CAR T cells that don't just have one receptor for a protein, but maybe two, so that it takes basically two signals that are theoretically only present on the cancer of our interest before it gets activated. And then also inserting suicide genes, meaning that there could be a gene that could be activated in the event of a toxicity uh, by giving a simple molecule like an antibiotic, which basically will activate a set of genes in the CAR T cell, tell it to either kind of slow down its activity or go ahead and go through cell death in a program fashion. So I think there's a lot of exciting things on the horizon. It's really an exciting time to be entering the field um, for myself. And I'm really excited for patients down the road for sure. Well, I know your patients enjoy seeing you, even though they may not like the reason they have to come see you. Um, just quickly, what do you enjoy most about being in the oncology field and treating patients and being with Nebraska cancer specialists? Yeah, uh, I could talk probably about an hour about this specific <laughs> question, honestly. So um, when early in training, when I was trying to figure out which specific area of medicine to focus on, I really enjoyed the aspect of primary care where you got to see patients very frequently and help kind of manage all their health problems. But I also was really intrigued by the very specific um, uh, knowledge that's involved with the specialty. And I think that with oncology, we get the frequent follow-up and I'm frequently helping out with some of their other medical issues because they all kind of overlap with their cancer care. Um, and I'm developing a long-term relationship with patients, but at, on the same time, I'm able to use cutting edge research and science and technology every day. And so that really kind of checked all the boxes in that. The other thing I really enjoy is that cancer treatment requires a whole village. It's not just the oncologist and the patient. There's nurse case managers, there's our MAs, there's our patient schedulers. Um, and then there's other providers, physical therapists, occupational therapists, dietitians, and then other physicians involved. You have the surgeons, you have the pathologists, the radiologists, the radiation oncologists. So it's this big team conglomerate effort in order to give our patients the best care possible. And that's something I really enjoy as well. Um, it's, it's very interesting to be able to interact with physicians of different specialties because you get insights that you may not have appreciated on your own. And then probably the most important thing is cancer patients are the most special patients, I think, out there. I've never met braver and stronger people in my entire life. And uh, it's something that I'm really honored to be able to help participate in their care. I love that. Dr. Joel Mikowski, everyone, thanks so much for joining us. We hope you feel more in the know after hearing this podcast. And if you're looking for a medical oncologist or for more information on treatments and therapies, go to NebraskaCancer.com. Also, we are thankful for the physicians at Nebraska Cancer Specialists who have spent the time to make this series happen. A Parkville Media Production.